As more and more athletes come forward as using cannabis for training and recovery, many regular folks who exercise to stay fit are considering adding it to their health plan as well. Exercise and cannabis are not obvious friends since many people assume that when you use cannabis, you sit on the couch and eat all the snacks. And while that's certainly a possibility, many more people are up and motivated, hiking or working or surfing or reading or writing or even taking care of the kids. The idea of the couch-locked stoner is really more of a stereotype than an actuality. The inspiration for this episode came from the movie American Beauty. In that film, the Kevin Spacey character is going through a midlife crisis, and he turns to cannabis, weightlifting, and fantasy to get him through it. He says that he's working out because he wants to look good naked, and I think many of us identify with that. It got me thinking about the relationship between cannabis and exercise. I wanted to understand if cannabis and exercise were complementary. I wanted to know if cannabis could help all of us look better naked. If you want to learn about cannabis, health, business, and technique efficiently and with good cheer, I encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter. We'll send you new podcast episodes as they come out, delivered right to your inbox, along with commentary on a couple of the most important news items from the week and videos too. Don't rely on social media to let you know when a new episode is published. Sign up for the updates to make sure you don't miss an episode. Also, we're giving away pretty cool prizes to folks who are signed up to receive the newsletter. There's nothing else you need to do to win except receive the newsletter. So go to shapingfire.com to sign up for the newsletter and be entered into this month's and all future newsletter prize drawings. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I'm your host, Shango Los. Today, my guest is Greg Gerdeman. Greg Gerdeman is a neurophysiologist with expertise in the endocannabinoid system. He has received research support from the National Institute on Drug Abuse and the National Science Foundation, and his articles have appeared in the journals such as Nature Neuroscience, Trends in Neuroscience, and Neuropsychopharmacology. His research, while an assistant professor of biology at Eckerd College, included the molecular physiology of cannabinoid receptors and their evolution within neural systems. Greg is presently Chief Scientific Officer at Three Boys Farm in Florida. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thank you. Thanks for having me again, Shango. Yeah, it's so great to have you back. So, so let's start off with a quick summary of the endocannabinoid system for folks, because while uh, you know certainly more people know that they have an endocannabinoid system than used to know, um, it's still pretty new to a lot of folks. And honestly, since you have got a history of being a professor, you're actually really darn good at teaching it. So, so let's <laughs> start there so that we can build on that throughout throughout the show. So, so will you summarize what the human endo cannabinoid system is and 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 how we want to work with it yeah of course thanks um, for the compliment and, and more people do know for sure having talked about this for many years um, but the endocannabinoid system is really how the endocannabinoids work and we this was discovered out of a quest scientific quest to understand how cannabis works in the body of course, all of that was mostly biased towards how it's bad and hurt you and is wrong. But even with that bias, we discovered the endocannabinoid system, which is intrinsic to our body as a, a mechanism for um, resilience, I believe, and, and homeostasis. The endocannabinoids as players in our body can be called sort of like the body's own uh, THC or cannabinoids. Um, they are... If you're familiar with with molecules at all, they're they're lipid molecules. They come from the membranes of cells, not just in the brain, but um, all over uh, the tissues of the body, and act at certain receptors in order to 
um, dampen excitation, and uh, they do many different things. But on a basic level, we've got these endocannabinoids called anandamide and 2-AG. They're molecules that act in many ways like THC. Um, they act at receptors that are on cells, and they include CB1 and CB2 cannabinoid receptors. This is sort of the, I guess, traditional, if you will, endocannabinoid system, those endocannabinoids and the CB1 and CB2 receptors. We now know it's quite a bit more complicated than that, and this is a system that your body uses all the time to regulate metabolism, um, motivated behavior, the the synchrony and, and rhythms of your brain. In fact, you know, many people will know that when all of this was discovered, it was hugely surprising to brain scientists, people like me who study receptors and how drugs and hormones and neurotransmitters work, because the CB1 cannabinoid receptor, when it was discovered way back in well, 89 and then and more thoroughly in 1990, uh, we discovered that it's the most abundant receptor system in the brain by far. So our brains are really highly, highly evolved to respond to cannabinoid signaling. And of course, we evolved with the endocannabinoids in our body, but the cannabinoids of cannabis has been with us a very long time as well. So, um, so if we're looking at the endocannabinoid system as our body's master regulator, uh, you know, constantly trying to bring us back to homeostasis, like you said, or, or bring us back to balance, if we're running hot in a category, it will help bring us, bring it down and bring it back to, bring us back to center. If we're, if we're, if we're cool in a category or slow or stagnant in a category, well, it, it like amps it up. So no matter if you're high or low, it's, it's bringing you back to, um, you know, best, uh, uh, best case scenario for your body. Well, this makes a lot of sense then, right? That this, this body master regulator would be impacted and probably be an active participant every time we exercise, right? Because we've got, we've got breathing and blood flow and muscle sets and, you know, all, you know, adrenaline and all these other things that are playing um, yeah. a role in exercise, yeah. they're also playing a role in the endocannabinoid system. So, so how does cannabis uh, help us uh, work with the endocannabinoid system generally when we exercise? What, what are we doing when we're interacting with the endocannabinoid system generally when we exercise? Well, you know, I, I'm a, part of what I think is so exciting is how much we have yet to learn and that now these kinds of questions are something we can ask out in the open and really explore it and with today's cannabis that we have we're able to understand the diversity of it but you know from a starting point what we've come to find out and it work that I did it was part of this but other group many other groups have shown that when you exercise your body elevates its endocannabinoid levels that's one of the kinds of activities that can increase circulating levels in the blood of anandamide, at least, as an endocannabinoid. And so um, there's part of the benefit, the physiological benefit of aerobic exercise, but it's also been seen with resistance training. Anandamide levels go up. And to the effect that there's um, sort of an analgesic effect, a euphoric effect that may help to motivate behavior in the first place, um, this is all just something that is intrinsic to to how our 
exercise physiology evolved. And you're right, the physiology of exercise is a really unique case. I mean, skeletal muscle and fat tissues and depth of breathing and so much goes on during exercise that is special compared to how our bodies normally work. And and I, that's because the human being and our hominid ancestors, we evolved out of a lineage that evolved to be exercisers. And the endocannabinoid system, I believe, was a key part in what made that happen. I, I, I'm really on this idea that endocannabinoids actually are part of the evolvability of these sorts of processes. Let's uh, let's dig a little deeper in that, because when, when we were chatting before, um, you know, as we were setting up this interview today, um, I thought I thought it was really interesting. You're talking about the the evolution of humans as a as a running animal, right, as a running being and how yeah. essential and integral uh, the endocannabinoid system is to that kind of, of long-distance running. I mean, one of the reasons humans could get meat is that because over time they would run down these animals that might be faster, but they didn't have the same stamina that we had, right? right. So, so, so why, don't, why don't you riff on that a little bit because uh, I think you've got some interesting stuff there. Yeah, there, there are hunter-gatherer groups uh, in Africa you know, to this day that hunt with sort of persistence or exhaustion techniques. Um, well, like, just like you said, you know, a band of, of uh, hunters can basically jog an antelope down to exhaustion. Um, and for that, but for that kind of behavior to evolve would have been a multi-step process over time. You look back uh, tens of thousands of years to when our hominid ancestors were largely in trees or near them, there was a big shrinking of the forests of East Africa and areas where Homo sapiens evolved so that you got the, the development of these big savanna grasslands. And um, whether it's hunting to exhaustion or just foraging from place to place, it's it was adaptive. Uh, so the field of biological anthropology you know, believes this. These aren't controversial things I'm talking about. It was a, those those ancestors who were better at running um, were more successful, whether it was hunting or, or following a vulture to where some had been killed or just getting to a better place to forage. Um, endurance running was adaptive. And so traits that favored endurance running were adaptive. And you see in, in humans skeletal muscular features um, like the length of the Achilles tendon in certain ways that the head and the hips sit in their sockets and the length of the femur uh, that make running less energetically demanding. Well, what would have motivated that behavior in the first place? Because running intrinsically increases your risk of predators, of injury. Um, and, and the endocannabinoids fit in nicely as an explanation in that when you engage in the behavior and you get sort of a runner's joy out of it from increased circulating endocannabinoids, your sense of wellness improves. The taste of the food you found is actually better because of the endocannabinoids. And this is all well-steeped in research and similar to how cannabis can affect you. Um, it would have promoted a behavior, a culture of behavior, and that is a positive feedback loop driving, we believe, the evolution of humans to be, you know, quote unquote, born to run, endurance runners. And the endocannabinoids are really involved. They don't just get activated when you're from exercise, but the way they stimulate uh, 
um, appetitive food seeking. They they help to desire and promote feeding. And that's something that goes way back to deep evolutionary time. Even very simple organisms like worms and hydra that are pre-jellyfish are are have an endocannabinoid system that seems to inter- interact with the control of metabolism and feeding behavior. That's where our endocannabinoid system evolved from. But in vertebrate animals that of course, you know, include mammals, became mammals, became humans, at the base of the vertebrate family tree, what we call invertebrate chordates, that's when these CB1 and CB2 cannabinoid receptors seem to have evolved. And it, only there do you start to see a DNA sequence that's like the CB1 cannabinoid receptor. And lo and behold, in the time span of evolutionary you know, development, vertebrate animals have these systems. What's, what is special about a vertebrate animal? Well, an evolutionary biologist will identify, they have identified what we call vertebrate innovations that appear in our lineage and nowhere else. And they are including a, a peripheral nervous system, a very incredibly complex and, and um, large head and brain, an adaptive immune system that re- recognizes previous you know, threats and responds and me- remembers them. Um, these are things that the endocannabinoid system is all about regulating. It is the endocannabinoids and the CB1, CB2 receptors are master regulators of metabolism, inflammation, the immune response, and regulation of the complex brains and nervous signaling. Then that's not, you know, counter, that's not cannabis culture talk. That's as mainstream as science get, that the endocannabinoid system is the master regulator of physiology. And you don't see that talking in other literature. Um, but I mean, I can, I can go on <laughs> about this connection, you know. Um, well, let me let me point you, a... yeah, let me point you in a in a continued direction because I like what we're talking oh. because the you know basing the endocannabinoid system in this this long history of human evolution, I like how a it takes it out of drug culture and like stoner culture and and even out of science, right? Because science. Yeah. Um, uh, is often trying to uh, like pure medical science is often very uh, on a pedestal, right? But when you get to evolutionary science and anthropology, um, uh, suddenly things get a lot more visceral, right? And 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 a uh, lot yeah. <clears throat> a lot less cherished. And so um, so so going back to what you were saying, I, I love the beauty of the idea of you know the endocannabinoid system appears in us as as our DNA starts to become more human, and then part of that is that uh, we we when we when we when we spark the endocannabinoid system it creates a state in us that we enjoy food and we're also chasing our food so so not only is the endocannabinoid system modulating our running experience and giving us that runner's joy but also we're chasing down our food so that we can get more complex fats to build our brain and oh yeah once yes. you get there and you capture the animal and you eat it your 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 endocannabinoid cannabinoid system is already like primed for a fantastic meal yes. and and how that comes together it's just freaking beautiful right it's like ah, oh it's, so it's like hell it yeah nature 
it's beautiful because it teaches us more about who we are. And that's something I I like to say a lot, that the science of cannabis has taught us much more about how cannabis works. It's taught us a great deal about the biology of who we are and what it means to be well. But jumping into your scenario, yeah, you run. There's there's a control of your metabolism and your and your repetitive drive. But guess what has also been very cleanly and, and repeatedly shown in various animal research models? The endocannabinoid system helps to stimulate neurogenesis. It, you're not only collecting fats to feed your brain, you're stimulating mechanisms that promote the growth of the brain that help to create resilience to the anxieties of life by promoting healthy regeneration of nervous tissue, which we know does happen throughout life. And there's been lots of studies showing that cannabinoids stimulate neurogenesis, including plant cannabinoids, including as a consequence of exercise, and it doesn't happen if you block the CB1 cannabinoid receptor. Even some some undersighted research that I really like uh, by a group in uh, Germany, a friend of mine, Susanna Wolf, was the first author of one of these papers. They a, a difficult experiment to do, giving animals a an enriched environment over a period of time. You know, you may a, a lot of listeners may be familiar with sort of this rat park um, literature about how a lot of well a lot of animals are not housed in a in a good situation in 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 research it's kind of deprived and when you give animals enriched environments there are lots of measures of health benefits there and for example they're not as likely to be you know self-administering cocaine and that kind of thing but the point here is Susanna's work was that she did a very long controlled experiment that's hard to fund um, and found that animal enriched environments stimulated neurogenesis greater rates in in brain areas where it occurs the hippocampus of the mouse brain and that this was blocked in animals that had cb1 receptors blocked either with the genetically they didn't have it or they were blocking it with the chemical antagonist so back to the running thing we know that over the history of hominid evolution leading to homo sapiens ourselves as greater running mobility occurred in the fossil record and over the course of evolution, as species became more mobile and better runners, their brain size also increased. Their head size, their brain size. And this makes sense from a natural selection perspective in that as an animal is, uh, a species is getting better at running, your survival demands are different. You're, you're better at foraging. You're getting more metabolic support, but the complexity of the environment, moving, traveling farther, covering more different terrains at different rates, your processing speeds, your need for processing speed is greater to, to be able to see changing environments, remember your environment, have flexibility to new encounters that you're more likely to have. And so... The evolution of humans as were uh, to be runners also included a growth in the brain. And endocannabinoids we know are stimulated by running. And we know that endocannabinoids are linked to neurotrophic factors and things that cause increased neurogenesis. We see it. We know the mechanism. So part of the fun about talking about evolution is it is always going to be speculative, right? Because it's something you've ha that's happened in the, in the past. But, man, the pieces are really beautiful to make this 
perspective and support this perspective that the endocannabinoid system helped to support the evolution of who we are as runners and the metabolic activity that we have. Some of the thinking on uh, exercise and metabolism is that, you know, Western community, Western society is dealing with such issues related to metabolism, diabetes, obesity, um, you know, sedentary lifestyles. And we evolved not only to be runners, but our metabolism evolved with a running sort of set point that, that we're kind of hard uh, plumbed to burn through calories like we're running. And if we don't have exercise in our life, that extra calories that you want to intake because you're just set to that, it ends up going to inflammation. Yeah. And and when we run an exercise, the endo, that's another thing, oh, by the way, <laughs> that the endocannabinoids clearly do. They dampen down inflammation. And so, yeah, I, lo- I love the whole area. And it does support how natural cannabis medicine, you know, as a complement to that physiology is. But it's not just about cannabis. It's about understanding ourselves and how an active mobile lifestyle is healthy. It's how we evolved. And there's it, it it's... Um, it's a natural thing to do. You know, I, uh, I, I, I work with patients a lot um, around the country. And, uh, you know, often I'll get people saying, you know, I want to use cannabis because I have insomnia, right? And we can talk all about, you know, uh, you know using THC short term and CBD to make the sleep cycle better, all that. But I always start with, are you drinking coffee in the morning? Right. Because because uh, if you're if you're drinking coffee in the morning, the caffeine half life means that when you go to sleep, you still have active caffeine in your body, even if you only had one cup. And of course, no one wants to hear that. Right. No one wants to. Give oh, yeah. up their, no one wants to give up their cup of coffee to get rid of their insomnia. They want to keep their cup of coffee and then they want to, you know, take some kind of purple flowered cannabis to help, you know, slow them down at night. Similarly, exactly. to use your example, you you know, people are often, you know, you know, why do I have endocannabinoid deficiency or why is it so common? You know, and, and of course we go through the, 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 the modern American things, you know, you know, stress, poor sleep, poor nutrition, too many pharmaceuticals, environmental toxins, but really it's that lack of mobility, right? You know, like, like our bodies are designed over, you know, generations and generations to be mobile, to do physical work, to take in calories, to burn them off. And now we're, you know, driving our car and sitting on the sofa. And I mean, hell, yeah. most of the time I'm working, I'm either like standing up talking to people or I'm sitting at my computer or on a plane sitting at a computer, yeah, yeah. right? And, yeah. and you know, I'm one of those people. We all need to get um, more mobile. And I like what you said, how, uh, you know, cannabis teaches us more or reminds us more where we came from, right? Because it's showing that, okay, if, if modern life is not working for most everybody, what, what can we learn about how things we used to live that can help us be help healthier now? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, health and fitness is not you know, all about endocannabinoids as we, you know, we can sometimes get get into, but endocannabinoids are a master regulator. And, and I, I think it's, it's legit to say that, you know, the endocannabinoid system has been under sort of a multi-pronged attack with the modern, that is to say, you know, Western lifestyle with all the things you're saying, sedentary ism and not having as many leafy greens that'll support a healthy microbiome and 
poly healthy fatty acid balances that help to generate the endocannabinoids themselves. Uh, the when we know chronic stress wears down the endocannabinoid system. It just makes sense. Endocannabinoids are a buffer against stress, but when you beat up your buffers, you run you run dry. And you know that's a metaphor, but promoting a health and 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 well-being from an endocannabinoid perspective, I think, is a exciting direction. Uh, to I certainly like looking at it that way. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So so in our second set, we're going to start talking specifically about how cannabis can help us with with different types of. Uh, you know, exercise and athleticism. But but before we go to the first commercial break, um, I want to go, you know, all the way back to where we started this set, um, because you talked a little bit about how cannabis can help motivate us towards exercise, right? And, and you know, we've, we've laid out this case uh, that that we do need movement, and and if we move, our endocannabinoid system will reward us with all of this, you know, increased health and thriving nature. But I know I'm not the only one who, um, you know, I'm I'm busy and I travel and I don't find the time for as much exercise as I want to, even though you know I continually am getting better at it. I'm not there yet. But um, but I liked what you said, though, that there are aspects of using cannabis that can help motivate us towards exercise when that is not the general belief, right? Most people are thinking about low, right. you know, lazy, sedentary stoners. And certainly there are other factors that play role, you know, a role in that. But, but, but why don't you tell us a little bit about how, how cannabis can help move us closer to exercise and so that maybe, you know, uh, some of us can get a little more motivated. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that's very true. And it's going to, in, in my view, the way we're talking about it, because, of course, we can talk more later that there's a lot of talk about, you know, cannabinoids in terms of recovery because of anti-inflammatory values. And having an anti-inflammatory a little on board ahead of time exercising, a natural one, may be beneficial. But we're talking about motivation and we're talking about um that kind of of sort of affect i think we're probably talking about using it in low doses prior to exercise um and maybe it's because you just learn that it helps you get in a zone helps you less be less um attached to other distractions so you can focus on it one of the i i certainly spoke i remember 20 years ago talking to someone when i was first getting into this uh, research, uh, a scientist I was with at Vanderbilt said, yeah, you know, we, I used to be with this running club out in, uh, Eugene, Oregon. And, you know, we would all take edibles like half an hour before we ran. Then we'd all like, you know, we'd go on this like 12 mile run. And, um, and he was like, it's totally helped me get in the zone. And I've heard that many times now it's been much more popular. There's a lot of ultra athletes talking about that now. Um, but whether it's that or, or even, you know, not just a long distance, zone where you need to sort of wear away the hours while you're exercising um there there may be just a way to sort of let loose of what's holding you back and you know i think about it in terms of weight room training and that kind of um exercising where you might be self-conscious about form or what your performance is how much something's weights are rattling and and I think a judicious use of cannabis um, can maybe help you get past that, that your own 
you, what your own resistance is holding you back. Um, like I re- re- related when I was talking to you earlier about hand drumming, which is something I, I love to do and have trained in. And a lot of times what holds you back from making a great rhythm is yourself. It's your inhibition from actually making the impact and with the drum and, and just feeling it. And I think the same thing is getting in with a training. I mean, it's like if you're, if you're training you know, uh, and, and trying to get over a hurdle, um, there's a value to being coached through it. And, and that's because it helps release sort of your, your descending neural pathways that put a little safety check on your own actions. You get coached through something, you can, you're able to push through a little harder. And I'm not trying to go too far about what I know that endocannabinoids or cannabis does or doesn't do, but I like to think about the idea that having a little bit of cannabis on board can help you to get past your own resistance and sort of um, negative body type or whatever and just do it. And then maybe, maybe with experience, then going to the gym or your whatever your training situation is, taking that little bitty. And I am, I do tend to say this would be what we'd call a micro dose, just a small little dose, um, can uh, even kind of be a conditioned experience. Like, yeah, okay, there's my exercise zone. Let's get this. Yeah, yeah, well said. You know, during the during the introduction, I talked about that that great scene in the movie American Beauty, uh, where the Kevin Spacey character, you know, he, you know, he's having you know all sorts of life problems, right? But but to kind of reclaim his life, one of the things he decides to do is he gets a he gets a weight bench, and uh, he's starting to smoke some weed again, and he's putting on some of the music that energizes him, and you know. I get that, man. You know, I know that if I get too high, then, then, you know, using resist, like doing resistance training at the gym or something, like being being at the gym is too weird and bright and I just don't want to be there. But, but if I just have like, you know, a little hit off my one hitter, right. Or for many people, that'd be a vape pen like nowadays, right. Just that little bit, it kind of loosens up the fact that I generally don't want to be there lifting weights. And, and, and suddenly I'm like, all right, I'm here and I'm in a, I'm in a much better mood than I was a couple minutes ago. Let's get going. And it kind of gets me over that initial hum of, oh my God, I got these, all these other things I should be doing. But, you know, cannabis for a lot of people makes you very, um, you know, emotionally present with where you are. And I find that's really the only way that I can work out is if I forget the rest of my life that, um, you know, acts as a distraction, all the stuff I should be doing. And, you know, you know, and, and most of the stuff we're talking, we're going to be talking about today is going to be tincture based. But for me specifically yeah. with lifting, you know, a little, a little in, inhaling, uh, followed by some, some weight training that, that really works for me. And I think it does for a lot of people. Yeah. It works for me. I, I dig it. And, um, I, I laugh a little bit about the American beauty reference. Cause my, my buddy, Mike, who got me back into training a couple of years ago, and I'm in the best shape that I've been since college. And, um, and I've been happy about that. And it doesn't always involve a little bit of cannabis, but it usually does. And it's, uh, <laughs> he laughed at me and referred to that exact, exact clip when I, you know, came to him a couple years ago and was just like, I'm not happy with how I look. And he jokes because that character, you know, was asked, like, why, what are you trying to hit? Were you trying to run certain, you know, eight miles or whatever? He's like, I just want to look good naked. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah hey, I want to look good. But, you know, uh, public health and epidemiological studies have shown that overall cannabis users tend to have better 
a lower body mass index. You know, it's not that we are fatter and lazier. And actually, so germane to this conversation, Shango, you know, a paper just got, it's not even fully released, but it was announced as a pre-release um, by a group out of Colorado. And Ken Hutchinson is one of the senior authors who did a, a online survey amongst people using cannabis in legal states, had something like 600 respondents. And the questioning was, do you endorse the use of your cannabis around exercise. And a large majority, I believe it was approaching around 80% of cannabis users associated it with helping them or endorsing it with exercise. More of them were relating it to the recovery phase, um, but a significant number, I look forward to reading the actual paper, a significant number did discuss it in just the way that you and I are, that it helped to, to motivate them or support their performance in some way. And, and you know, I was at a panel on the Emerald Cup in December with some great athletes, and they too were, you know, across the field, a lot of, a lot of um, athletes do feel like there's a benefit to whether it's flow state or something of that, whatever you want to call it. Um, you and I have just been talking about it in terms of, all right, I'm there, I'm ready to go. And I, th I think these are all just fascinating topics, and 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 moreover, they're topics that are all about helping people feel better. Yeah, damn straight. So after the break, we are going to come back and we're going to talk uh, more about cannabis and the actual physiology of exercise. So stay with us. Um, you are listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is Greg Gerdeman, Chief Scientific Officer at Three Boys Farms. This message is for folks who grow cannabis. I'm talking to home growers, patients, and commercial growers too. I'm probably talking to you. When you plan out your next growing cycle, be sure to check out Humboldt CSI Seeds at HumboldtCSI.com. Caleb Inspecta and his family have lived in Humboldt County for over 100 years. For the last 40 years, three generations of his family have cultivated extraordinary Sensamia cannabis in Humboldt, Mendocino, and Trinity Counties. Because of his lineage and the hard-earned experience that comes from growing up smoking and sifting large populations of cannabis plants in Northern California, the seeds you'll cop from CSI will be winning genetics based on longtime heavy hitters and updated and resifted to bring out new and exotic traits and better yields. Go ahead and ask around. Caleb, also known as Inspecta and Pirates of the Emerald Triangle, is a breeder's breeder. He reaches way back and works with significant strains, recreating them in new and interesting ways that you'll love as a toker and a grower, as well as offering you some surprises that will delight serious seed traders and cultivators. Humboldt CSI goes a further step and selfs all these chemovars so you know all the seeds will be female. These are not experimental feminized seeds. Humboldt CSI releases some of the best female seeds available anywhere, and it will show in your garden. Folks grew quite a bit of CSI Humboldt Gen X last year here on Vashon Island, and everyone was pleased. The patients had beautiful female plants and didn't have to cull half of their garden as males. The folks growing for the fun of getting high grew colorful flowers with exceptional bag appeal and great highs. And breeders had seven out of seven females in a pack, which gave them a lot of phenotypic choices. Take a moment right now and visit HumboldtCSI.com. You'll find an up-to-date menu of both feminized and regular lines, along with photos and descriptions. That's HumboldtCSI.com. 
Now that the health benefits of terpenes have become well-known in the cannabis industry, people everywhere are looking for the purest terpenes without adulterants. The problem with most terpene providers is that they're not sourced naturally and instead are made as a byproduct of refining petroleum, and that's so sketchy. The terpenes sold by True Terpenes are entirely different. They are certified organic, non-GMO, and food grade. That means that they are extracted from real plant sources. There are no solvents of any kind. They are distilled only with steam. That's right, only steam. In fact, terpenes from True Terpenes are so pure that you can eat them. Not only that, but you can stack them with better results too. And what I mean is, other companies' terpenes have got a few percent of impurities, and when you stack those terpenes to make your blend, you're adding a variety of impurities that degrade your final product. True terpenes also have strain-specific terpenes for a wide range of cannabis strains like Durban Poison, Sunset Sherbet, and Granddaddy Purple. True Terpenes has robust and supportive customer service, so your questions will get answered fast and efficiently. If you've shopped for terps before, you know how rare that is. So whether you want to cup your hands to smell some beta-caryophylline to calm down after getting too high, or if you want to dab some pinene so your lungs feel fabulous and your mind feels liberated, True Terpenes will provide you with a truly natural experience. If you are a cannabis product developer, these are the terps you want to add to your oil or edible or capsule or whatever. True Terpenes are simply the best your money can buy. Don't try and make a premium product with substandard terps. Choose True Terpenes for a top-shelf experience. Go to shapingfire.com forward slash true terpenes to find out more or click on the link in this week's newsletter. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shangolos, and our guest this week is Greg Gerdeman, Chief Scientific Officer at Three Boys Farm. So before the break, we were talking a lot about the uh, historical significance of the endocannabinoid system and how we evolved as mobile human beings. And then a little bit about uh, motivation, because as we all know, you know, getting motivated to exercise in the first place is, uh, you know, is a challenge for a lot of people, including me. So in this set, we're going to talk more about uh, the impact, the interplay between the human endocannabinoid system, cannabis, and exercise, and, and, and how they're working together to, I don't know, build a better human. So, so Greg, why don't we start there? You know, specifically, how does supplementing our body with cannabis help us strengthen and build muscle? Well, that's tough. I mean, you know, I'm a scientist. So I'm always going to back up and say, well, we're not totally sure about that. But um, it, it, there's the, the cannabinoid system working with cannabis in that it can help support better you know, met metabolism and storage of fats may, may help. And here's another piece that's pretty mysterious is that we now know that there are cannabinoid receptors actually on mitochondria that are the AP generating powerhouses of the cell, right? Wow. That's really weird that there's a neurotransmitter receptor that's on the surface of neurons and all over the body and it's also found on mitochondria. That's part of what makes this receptor system so different and it's it's literally a mechanism. The endocannabinoid system is not just a system like here's a group of cannabinoid producing cells and they project everywhere. That's like the case we we're talking about dopamine. I can point to every dopamine cell in the brain and it, they project everywhere, but there's the dopamine system right there. The endocannabinoid system is more like an endocannabinoid mechanism that is a fundamental cellular mechanism. It's all over the body. 
So in when it comes to exercise and you're talking about building muscle, I mean, may, there's certain aspects that, well, endocannabinoids may be involved in sort of the healing of you know, micro tears and that kind of thing that is involved in building muscle mass. But here's something I want to go into that, that you haven't heard from me yet. It's a, a recent study came out that I got, I'm really excited about um, that looks at how endocannabinoids and cannabinoid receptors work at the, at the neuromuscular junction. Hmm. So the, the neuromuscular junction is where, you know, when you're doing any voluntary movement, moving a hand, a finger, a foot, there are neurons that are coming called motor neurons from your spinal cord. Really, it comes from your motor cortex down to your spinal cord, and then your spinal cord sends motor neurons to your muscle. And the release of neurotransmitter called acetylcholine at that neuromuscular junction is what causes your muscles to contract and move. So that's the neuromuscular junction. And whereas we know that cannabinoid receptors and endocannabinoids act at connections between cells in the brain, synapses, like practically every synapse in the entire human brain is impacted in some way by endocannabinoids, if not using it on the regular. Studies of the neuromuscular junction have been less obvious, but a study just came out recently, it was in the journal Scientific Reports, just in the last couple months, showing that endocannabinoids are released by contracting active muscles and travel backwards and hit the neuromuscular junction in this similar way that it does in the brain that I helped to describe like 2001. But in the brain, there's a key difference here. In the brain, endocannabinoids traveling backwards dampen the release of neurotransmitters and kind of slow things down. At the neuromuscular junction, where physical activity is stimulated, the endocannabinoids actually increase Whoa. the level of neurotransmission. They And this, this was a study done in mice, but there were some really key findings. First of all, they, used, they showed a, a, a synthetic CB1 agonist did this as well. I wish they had used THC, but such as big animal research, they didn't. But nonetheless, they, they mimicked it with a cannabinoid agonist activator, and it increased at a very, this is a very heady research. I mean, they're like counting vesicles of neurotransmitter released, basically. Wow. They show that at that level, it's increased. It's kind of the inverse of what happens in the brain. But why would this be adaptive? I mean, maybe this is a, an ability, part of the ability of exercising muscle tissue to to overcome fatigue. You just start increasing the release of the, how effective the motor neuron is driving the muscle. I mean, the, the, the cellular physiology of fatigue and why it happens is not so obvious. And maybe this is a breakthrough understanding in that regard. But secondly, they looked at a mouse model of a disease called myasthenia gravis. Are you familiar with this at all? No, I'm not. Myasthenia gravis is an autoimmune disorder. And um, it manifests with muscle weakness that can, and, and clumsiness related to that. Um, that's a short version. You get muscle weakness because, again, it's autoimmune where the body is developing antibodies to the receptors for acetylcholine that respond to the neuromuscular junction. 
Okay, so you're, you develop antibodies, they attack your own receptors at your neuromuscular junction, so the efficacy, the tightness of connection between your spinal cord telling your muscles to move is degraded by your own immune system. It's one of these insidious th ways that autoimmunity fucks us up in people that have myasthenia gravis. Well, it is something that is very easily modeled in a mouse. You can make a mouse basically allergic to their own acetylcholine receptors. It acts just like myasthenia gravis. They get muscle weakness and progressive you know, failures because of that. And they showed that giving the mouse a cannabinoid helps to prevent and, and treat myasthenia gravis. I mean, clinically, if you have this, what you will be prescribed is a medicine that helps to enhance the release of acetylcholine or block its breakdown. This new discovery is that cannabinoids acting at CB1 receptors enhances the release of acetylcholine at the neuromuscular junction. Right there, it's here's another of the limitless examples about cannabis. We have I cannot stand up in front of a group of doctors and talk about clinical data and say that there's any proof whatsoever that the use of cannabis, be it a tincture, a pill, a joint, I cannot say that the use of cannabis can be a, a treatment for myasthenia gravis. I have literally zero clinical evidence for that. But the biological underpinning has now been elegantly described that it may be the case. And I'm hoping that in this era of new upstart cannabis companies that I am involved in, these kinds of things can be dovetailed into studies. You know, if not really expensive clinical trials, patient outcomes. Let's recruit people who are using it for myasthenia gravis and find out. Does it work? That's observational study. It's not as strong as a controlled clinical trial, but they all start to justify one another. Yeah, and if we move in that direction, it'll be easier for us to to fund those increased in size um, yes. studies. And you know, this is interesting yes. too because um, while I don't have a lot of experience with that particular autoimmune disease, I work with a lot of other folks with autoimmune disease, most commonly usually lupus, and and you know a, you know how how these manifest for different patients kind of is different from patient mm -hmm. to patient but but decreased mobility is incredibly common right and so yeah, yeah. and and we find that high doses of whole plant um cannabinoids uh, really work to help. I've heard patients call it loosen the joints, right? To to make them feel less um, like they're they're rusting, like the Tin Man and Wizard of Oz, right? They feel like they're loosening. Um, and while I've never heard this explanation that you get, just gave, it certainly seems to be more evidence in that general direction that that you know adding cannabinoid supplementation to our body from this plant acts like an oil can on everything that's trying to stop our mobility. It sure seems to act in a lot of places like that. Yes, they, there's a, um, a, a redundancy of, of, of function that helps to support um, these different directions that would enhance mobility. And, you know, this piece I'm talking about, if could cannabinoids help to increase the, the function of your neuromuscular junction on this subtle way, but a way that could underlie it. when people are talking about getting into a flow state, maybe that's part of it. Your neuromuscular connection is just getting set up and more, you know, high fidelity and, and you feel it. And you've got the sense of wellness that comes from the way the endocannabinoids are acting in 
the limbic system of your brain and you've got the sense of enhanced bronchodilation that's happening from endocannabinoids working on your upper airways and and it's it all fits together in some pretty fascinating ways doesn't it yeah it certainly does and as a matter of fact i'm thinking to myself i'm like my god this is like a big commercial for yoga you know like low <laughs> low impact uh muscle movement of that kind creating you know an increase of of endocannabinoids let's so let's circle this all the way back around to the strengthening and building muscle before we move on to different types of uh athleticism so you know at its at, you know I, I don't know a lot about um sports physiology but my my general understanding is that how we're building muscle is that we rip the muscle and then as as our body goes to repair that it repairs it you know bigger if you will and so you're building yeah. muscle mass and then so you know you rip it today you heal tomorrow you rip it today so that that's clearly something that is going to be partially regulated by the endocannabinoid system how will you know the, the t having the cannabis to help us be present in the moment is good and to f focus so that we can lift more weight and have better form that's all good mm -hmm. but at that at at the muscular level how will this support our building and strengthening of muscles well i don't know that it will i mean honestly and and you know that ripping and tearing is is you know, an intrinsic part of that does include inflammation. And um, I have talked to a sports physician who has expressed to me that he thinks the anti-inflammatory actions of the cannabinoids actually would be working against bulking up. And really, if you're weightlifting to build mass, that that may be contrary. Hmm. I I don't know. Um, I, um, I've 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 got a little observation into my own little circles and use uh, of cannabis related to strength training, and uh, I don't, you know, I I shouldn't even say does <laughs> anything, but at a molecular level, we don't really know. Um, and me talking about what happens at that neuromuscular synapse is not really addressing how the, the tissue is remodeling during um, the recovery that can help build mass. Maybe there would be an interference. I don't know how important inflammation is to the actual mass building that goes on. Um, but really it's it's an interesting question, too, right? Because because if we need some inflammation in the area, um, maybe we don't need as much as we have. Because you know, a lot of people love yeah. cannabis for recovery, right? And so maybe right, exactly. like okay, we 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 rip up the muscles. And which causes its repair and inflammation, but maybe if the cannabis is decreasing inflammation x variable amount, maybe that's where we're getting some of our ease of recovery from these sports. Yes, I think so. But you know, again, cannabis isn't just a the endocannabinoid system isn't just a master regulator of inflammation. It's so much broader than that. And in many vascular beds. Uh, endocannabinoids act as vasodilators. Now that's may not happen all the time, but it, vasodilation is something that is taken. I mean, supplements that is that are, for example, nitric oxide donors are taken by weightlifters to improve the amount of weight you can go, the circulation of of um, of oxygenated blood to the tissues is enhanced. Maybe cannabis does that at a level that is not exaggerated, but 
supportive of uh, sustained muscle function during training. And I mentioned cannabinoid receptors on mitochondria. I mean, the other kind of supplement that is really used to boost both performance and and recovery are are uh, supplements like creatine phosphates and things that will support the regeneration of ATP if, and this is certainly conjecture on my part, but if the cannabinoid receptors on mitochondria are involved with making mitochondria more efficient, maybe that has something to do with replenishing ATP. That's a very testable question that I don't think anybody has gotten to. Yeah, well, I certainly haven't seen anything on it, and that actually leads us right next to our other, uh, our next category of sports, which is endurance, right? So if if we've got um, receptors on the mitochondria, we know that the 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 efficiency of the creation and burning of that energy is going to be some way related to the endocannabinoid system. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. I guess it could be wrong. Sorry, I didn't take that as a baton. I wasn't sure exactly. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. But... So, so, so let's talk about running and swimming, right? I mean, we we clearly talked a lot about running at, at the top of the show, but these, um, you know, by our using cannabis, um, how do you see that for runners and swimmers to add to their overall training regimen? Well, I mean, I just think if it if it improves their experience and their adherence to the discipline of their sport, then it's going to have the benefits of sticking with it. And, and, um, it could be of great help. I, I, some of this could be this aspect of getting in the zone or combating fatigue, um, that cannabis can be involved with. And, and like I'm saying, there's lots of cellular molecular basis for that. The metabolic benefits that may happen with using a way of using cannabis in, in your life around training may help to support the kind of changes that, again, help to shift you to a different set point. And when I, my training partner and I, we've talked about exercise as a, a vision of homeostasis. I mean, you push yourself out of your zone, and part of the recurrence of training to get your time better to get your endurance better is you're kind of forcing a homeostasis to a different set point i mean uh, my you know my buddy used to talk about me hitting the red zone because i'm telling you when i first started training in the gym two years ago again it's the first time in, in a long time I, I would work out with my buddy mike for like 20 minutes and i i would be like i would be redlining yeah. I, I felt terrible and the act of continuing to train is really pushing your body into that zone, which I do very much believe we evolved to get into, but, you know, 20 years out of shape is 20 years out of shape. And you have to sort of re-engage yourself to be adaptive in that set point. And there may be some consequence where you don't feel so good when you go weeks without training. Um, but that's another, <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> You know, let me let me ask this question in a different way too, because <clears throat> I was I was setting you up because I thought you were going to tell me that that there are ways that cannabis can can help the performance of swimming and running, the actual physicality of doing it. And you went to mindset, which makes me think that maybe my whole direction I was coming because I thought you you know. Th th 
cannabis is considered a endurance sport enhancing drug, right? And so it, it, it is banned in many sports areas. Um, but uh, this actually creates this idea in me that that maybe it's banned not necessarily because it will make you a better swimmer do the physical act of swimming, but maybe the reason why it's uh, sports enhancing is just because it keeps your head in the game so much more and your ability to ignore distractions, you know, from the competitor in the next lane over, yeah. you know, maybe that's it. And and I was actually, I, I was so. go, yeah, huh, that's interesting. I, I do think so. You know, and I know like the NCAA right now, it views CBD as a banned substance, of course, because it's a, Schedule you know, one, uh, yeah. Unrightly at schedule one. But, you know, even thinking cogently about it, I've talked to a physician with the NCAA who's, you know, saying, well, it's an anti-inflammatory and that's performance enhancing because inflammation, that's a wild story because oh, are we going to stop letting people take ibuprofen beforehand? Um, but yeah, I mean, that anti-controlling inflammation that may occur during the course of a distance um, sport certainly could help to promote you know, sticking with the behavior. But I think the mental focus, the letting go of grasping, you know, I, there's a whole other dialogue out there about cannabis and meditation, you know, and and I think there's a intersect there and that both are have a relationship to letting go of your grasping, of your discursive mind. And that helps with getting into a meditative place. And it helps with possibly um, like you said, not thinking about the competitor, not thinking about what you look like, or even being able to forget the fact that your ankle isn't feeling very well. I mean, not like I'm trying to tell people to push through pain that's there. And that takes me to another little piece that, you know, when we're talking about why cannabis could be performance promoting, whether it should be used in sports, I was, I know we're not primarily talking about things like head injury, but I was speaking at a conference on traumatic brain injury uh, a couple months ago, and I spoke to one, I mean, a fellow who's a doctor, he's a sports physician at a, at a NCAA school, um, works with football players, and um, he, he was talking about the use of cannabis in sports, and I'm, I won't go down this whole wormhole, but my feeling is that whether or not cannabis or CBD even on the sideline of, of games could would be preventing people from serious brain injury, and I think it could, I think it's more a question of are athletes, especially in contact sports, our athletes should have an absolute right to be medicating with this medicine because we should be concerned not with just getting them back on the field, but with their longevity as human beings. And I think CBD and full-spectrum cannabis products should be part uh, should be uh, allowed and supported by professional athletics because it helps to promote the longevity and health and well-being of the athletes. And the question of whether they can get back on the field real quickly, you know, and, and earn their paycheck, is not the one that the medical profession should be focused on as much. Yeah, that's a that's a big cultural shift to to shift our view of of sports players. Uh, from entertainers to humans and and have yeah. some kind of interest in their in their longevity um right yeah totally and, and like being aware of them as a human instead of yeah 
Yeah. I mean, hang out with a group of 55-year-old NFL players. They're they're nearly near the end of their natural life if they were like on the offensive line. Those guys don't have a long life expectancy. And a lot of times, even with a lot of wealth, it's not very happy. Um, and I don't want to roll this up in a whole different conversation, but that is something I feel powerfully about. Right on. Fair enough. So, so let's talk about the the last of the three categories. We talked about strengthening and building muscles, endurance sports like swimming and running. Um, for myself, I play racquetball, and uh, I absolutely know that I play differently with a little bit of THC um, in my body. Um, you know, uh, if I if I smoked it, it may actually decrease my my breath a little bit because I happen to have asthma. But I swear I've got like a sixth sense of where the ball is gonna go. I see the physics better. Um, I, <laughs> I I I attempt and succeed more aggressive shots. And and so like what's what's your take on that? Is it just am I getting more creative? Am I just more less averse to risk? Like 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 what about these dexterity and mobility based sports where you have to visualize where a sport action is going to take place and then you have to right. go and do it? It's a the fun part about all of this is that because the endocannabinoids and the you know the receptors that cannabis works on are so everywhere in the brain then you can just think about the neuroscience of performance and, and think, well, cannabis could totally influence that. All the ways you're talking about, whether it influences you with greater risk-taking or sort of sensory motor visual performance. That said, I certainly do have a way to consider this in that um, the, the neural circuits in our brain and spinal cord that are involved with executing motor behavior are where some of the greatest expressions of cannabinoid receptors are. And we know that the learning and unlearning of behavioral habits are involve, involve endocannabinoid signaling. And for example, I look at the cerebellum. The cerebellum is part of the brain that sits in the back. Actually, the name means little brain. It is anybody who studied uh, brain function knows that the cerebellum is involved with coordination and timing. And, and in clinical symptoms of ataxia, various forms of ataxia and discoordinated um, symptoms are related to cerebellar damage. The cerebellum, what it does on a neural circuit level, simplified, is it, it's constantly processing where your body is in space like what's actually happening with your body using input from what we call proprioceptors. You know, if you close your eyes and raise your hand, you can feel very much where your body is because the proprioceptive input is telling your brain, and it's going through the cerebellum to do so. The cerebellum is not only constantly measuring where you, what your body's actually doing, but it is comparing it with what you intend to do and what you expect to happen. And all of these things, like the angle of the racket ball, the angle of the ball coming back off the wall, how you integrate that with the way, the velocity with which you saw it hitting the wall, you know how hard your opponent hit it, you heard the sound of it, you saw where on the, you've got where it hit, you've got a memory of how your opponent throws a wicked spin on it. All of those kinds of things build a projection uh, in your mind of where that ball is going to go. And to get there, you have to coordinate what your body's actually doing 
with what you're expecting and what's going on in real time. And again, the neuroscience of this is very, of course, it's fascinating and it's very mainstream to think that our heads and our brains evolved to make these kinds of computations. And the endocannabinoids are really involved with that. In the cerebellar cortex where a lot of this circuitry is involved, every single synapse is regulated by endocannabinoids. So in that route, it's not surprising, and much of the research has looked at, hey, how does weed impair you? It's not surprising that high doses of THC will gum up your coordination. You know, there's absolutely a way to overdo it and take so much that you're is going to impact your game negatively. But if a judicious, you know, more micro sort of dosing of cannabis helps you get in your game and feel that, there's all kinds of biological rationale for why that would be the case. And there are forms of very laboratory-controlled cerebellar learning in animals that are dependent on cannabinoid receptors to happen. It doesn't happen as well when you don't have the CB1 receptor. And, you know, that's part of the, I guess, to step back from that a little bit, to segue into what would be like a broader sort of gestalt of this this conversation, other conversations. I speculate a lot about how cannabis could enhance performance because I think the underlying neurobiology and physiology is there. Um, but also because there aren't very many people in the world who worked with these genetic knockouts earlier than I did. I'm talking about mice that don't have CB1 cannabinoid receptors. I've been studying that sort of genetic study system. I mean, I'm not in the lab 24-7 now, but then it's not about my experience. The point is the data show us over and over again, lots of different labs, that animals who mammals that don't have CB1 cannabinoid receptors live lives that are shorter, more inflammation prone, more seizure prone, more metabolically messed up. And and again, they're, they're prone to early death. So all of these kinds of things, and they run less. We know this too. CB1 knockout mice are less prone to running on, a, on an exercise wheel. So it's part of, part of how our brains evolved for endocannabinoids to be master tuners of the rhythms of our brain. Endocannabinoids help to tune them. And when and where and how the compounds in cannabis might improve that in a beneficial way, um, that that has to shake out empirically. you know. And if you're an N of one and using cannabis a little bit helps you improve your game, I think that is every bit as believable and justifiable, you know, explainable, as it is to say that Louis Armstrong was better playing trumpet when he was a little bit high. For sure. You know, it's these kinds of things. And, and not to speak for a past revered musician who we know used cannabis, but I've been around a lot of musicians in my life who, again, you can overdo it, but that it also can play a role in your motor performance, your dexterity and we don't have any clinical data to say you're going to be a better guitar player or racquetball player by microdosing cannabis first. But this this science does help us understand better who we are. And one thing I've learned from healers of all stripes, whether they are accepted by the medical establishment or not, is that the story we tell ourselves matters. 
Our perspectives on healing matters. Our perspective on optimum performance matters. There are systems of our body that help to promote that, that we can access. The endocannabinoid system being a master player among them. And there's a plant that helps us interact with that endocannabinoid system. And there's a reason why it has been revered across human culture since before human language. Beautiful. That's a great wrap up. So let's, let's, let's uh, pause there and go to our last commercial break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about a whole bunch of variables to this. Um, you are listening to Shaping Fire. And my guest today is Greg Gerdeman, Chief Scientific Officer at Three Boys Farm. As a listener of Shaping Fire, you already understand the importance of living soil when growing cannabis. When you have active microbe communities in your substrate, you go way beyond simply fertilizing with nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Having active microorganisms in your substrate supports vigorous plant growth throughout the plant's root zone, making for higher yields and thriving flowers. Mammoth pea is the first organically derived microbial inoculant that focuses on your plant's nutrient cycling processes to release soil phosphorus and other micronutrients from their bound forms, making them more available to the plant. Increased levels of phosphorus will also keep internodes shorter and focus your plant's energy on bud production. Not only that, but the microbes act as a defense shield for the plant's rhizosphere by outcompeting potentially harmful pathogenic microbes. Pretty cool, right? Mammoth pea not only unlocks the nutrients in your soil, but it also helps protect your plant from disease. Mammoth pea's beneficial bacteria act like microbioreactors, continually producing enzymes that release nutrients. Mammoth pea was developed at a U.S. university and has been extensively tested by Colorado growers and independent laboratories. Mammoth pea is proven to increase growth and enhance blooming. One of the great things about supplementing with microorganisms is that they won't compete with whatever fertilizer program you're already running. Simply dose on top of your fertilizer schedule for increased benefits. To learn more and to find out where you can buy Mammoth Pea near you, check out their website at www.mammothmicrobes.com. Partner with microorganisms to create beautiful, thriving cannabis. Mammoth Pea. Did you know that Shaping Fire has a fabulous YouTube channel with content not found on the podcast? When I attend conventions or speak or moderate panels, I always record them and bring the content home for you to watch. The Shango Los YouTube channel has world-class speakers, including Kevin Jodry of Wonderland Nursery, talking about breeding cannabis for the best terpene profile. Nicholas Mahmood on regenerative and polyculture cannabis growing. Dr. Sunil Agarwal on the history of cannabis medicine around the world. Ben Cassidy of True Terpenes on using terpenes for health in your everyday life. Reggie Godino of Steep Hill on the cannabis genome. And Jeff Lowenfels on the soil food web. There are several presentations from Dr. Ethan Russo on terpenes and the endocannabinoid system, and even my own presentation on how to approach finding your dream job in cannabis and why we choose cannabis business even though the risks are so high. As of today, there are over 100 videos that you can check out for absolutely free. Go to youtube.com forward slash Shango Los or click on the link in this week's newsletter. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Los, and our guest this week is Greg Gerdeman, Chief Scientific Officer at Three Boys Farm. So, Greg, like, let's take like a, take a step back from the specific the specifics of uh, sports physiology, and let's talk about cardiovascular health because.
because even people who are not actively working out or playing a particular sport, they want to have, you know, they want to be heart healthy, if you will. Right. And, um, and it's weird, you know, um, you know, I've been, I've been a toker, you know, pretty much my whole life. Um, I've also been a fan of the Beastie Boys pretty much my entire life. And they've got this one song where called Heart Attack Man. And they're talking about this guy and and he does a lot of stuff that I don't do, right? Like he's you know, he's into, you know, he he he's drinking a lot and he's and he's going to you know fast food and but 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 the part that I always remember is they talk about him getting high and then playing basketball and they're waiting for him to drop dead on the court, right? And and <laughs> and so someone you know that got that got put in my brain that whenever I'm working out and well like like you know and uh, in, in more endurance stuff and my heart starts pounding and I'm high I always just kind of in the back of my mind think I'm just gonna like drop over dead and and I don't have any evidence for it and I've got I've been to my doctor and she's all like no you're not at risk like you're fine and no yeah. she won't approve a, a stress test for me so I can make sure but but she's like you're, there's no there's no no reason for you to be concerned about this and I'm all like but the Beastie Boys and that doesn't really get <laughs> that doesn't get me anywhere so so um, let's talk about cardiovascular health because that's like one of the the worst things in the United States how can our use of cannabis help us to have healthy hearts that won't crap out on us? Well, I mean, if it helps to, in the ways we've been talking about to promote exercise, there's a indirect thing. Um, But it's, I certainly don't want to come across like cannabis being a magic pill towards better heart health. Uh, There's good measures. I think public health outcomes from, you know, survey bases that cannabis users are are in general uh tend towards better health um but there there are concerns around cardiovascular uh issues i mean it it could be that uh cannabis it, this is a weird thing i stutter because this is a place where the human observation in in what i've talked about like with better body mass index for example doesn't exactly line up with some of the concerns that have been raised in animal research that there's greater fat deposition for example that part of what the cb1 cannabinoid receptor does is not only promote feeding behavior but it helps promote the storage of fats and if the storage of fats helps to create metabolic cardiovascular risk well then maybe that would be some indication against high chc um for chronic use but we don't really know there hasn't been in my view big red flags about cardiac risk or long-term cardiac improvement um i'd like to see more stuff about can breaking down cannabis users and controlled studies and looking at real cardiovascular performance profiles whether it's heart rate variability or ejection fraction and under stress that kind of thing um I do know that, again, it is animal research, but a study that was published very prominently a few years ago out of Germany showed that in mice, which do get atherosclerosis, and that's you know like the hardening of the arteries that is a sort of the primary risk factor and predictor of larger cardiovascular disease, um, in, in mice, with especially fed a Western diet, atherosclerosis absolutely happens. And in mice that were fed daily, really low doses of THC, the the uh, severity of 
atherosclerosis and plaque formation related to it um, was significantly reduced. I mean, this was like published in Nature, a top scientific journal in the world. And, and it was very low dose. It was something like 0 0.01 uh, milligrams per, per kilogram, which is very low for an animal study. Um, and, and it showed reduced atherosclerosis. Does that mean like a low dose sort of wellness level, regular cannabis consumption could help limit uh, atherosclerosis, which is the num leads to coronary vascular disease, number one killer? It might. It, it, it might, whether you smoke it or, or ingest it in some other way. Um, and it and I should speak, if we're talking about cardiovascular health, about the, the worry for adverse outcomes in that smoking cannabis, taking THC, does lead to a uh, increased heart rate. You know, clinically, we'll call it tachycardia. There's a transient tachycardia, increased heart rate that happens. And it's part of a, what supports panic attacks when people have taken more than they were expecting or knew how to expect. And when that edible starts kicking in in the second hour and you took way too much and your heart starts racing, that as can create a negative spiral. Again, it is transient, and even within sort of low-dose sessions, you uh, adjust to that. But people who have emergent cardiovascular disease um, and or may be at a high risk of stroke, for example, because they've already they know they've got a, a, a the, the the potential for clots uh, if they're taking medicines for that, then they should be cautious around going too high with THC because there are people who can suffer a stroke or a cardiac incident simply from having an increased rate, you know, and then that is a side effect. It's something for people to recognize. You know, people, even when we first published our exercise study showing that the runner's joy is related to endocannabinoid signaling, um, I maybe it was you. I had certainly talked to people who, who asked me, you know, like, all right, so somebody – you wanting to get back to exercise can be happy about it. And like, yeah, but you know, if you're someone who's recovering from a heart attack and you are not used to jogging, you don't want to just boost that with a hit off a joint and then go run without taking some consideration. Even that said, I mean, there's not strong clinical data that people are at increased risks of heart attacks, but there have been some studies to suggest that patients who there have been some clinical findings of patient with with stroke, with a heart attack, who had been smoking beforehand, and that cause and effect in those incidences may be related. So um, it's always been my understanding or belief, I guess, because I don't, I don't have a lot of evidence for this, is that the reason why the heart rate increases uh, with smoking THC, or, or I guess if you're taking enough edible, but the point is, is that it drops my blood pressure, which causes the heart have to have to pump faster to make up for the dropping of the um, the blood pressure. And so, so is there is that is that scientifically accurate, or is that just a, a myth that I grabbed onto? Uh, no, that makes sense in that it can, because it vasodilates, it can drop your blood pressure and that can create exactly that with with lower blood returning to the heart. It will compensate by increasing the rate. Um, but it also works in the, um, in the autonomic control of the heartbeat itself and, and can create a, 
a transient increase in heart rate, even if you're sitting down, which shouldn't really be accompanied with too much problems from blood pressure. Right on. Some people do take, you know, uh, THC-based tinctures to lower their blood pressure. Uh, do you think that to, to to get that lowering of the blood pressure, it necessitates also having the increase of heart rate? Um, I kind of, you know, I, I was under the general idea that that the the the, the pounding of the heart rate was is more related to particular uh, terpene profiles and the excitement of the adrenals. But, but then also I know about this other decreasing of the blood pressure aspect of it as well. So I'm not really sure how that dynamic works. Yeah. Well, I, I think if somebody would said they were sure about it, they'd be pulling your leg. This is complex. Uh, that's and fair there's enough, a lot yeah. that hasn't been studied. I, I like, I mean, you're bringing in the adrenals and the release of epinephrine from there. That could be part of it. Um, but no, I don't think anybody really knows. And I too, you know, there hasn't been a real well-controlled study that I know of just looking at changes in resting blood pressure in people who might be, you know, sort of baseline hypertensive. Uh, but I have, again, with just these clinical anecdotal findings of people who who have found success, I've talked to many people over the years who are like, I started using cannabis for XYZ. And my physician came back to me and said, your blood pressure is great. What are you doing? Keep it up. <laughs> you know, and is that clinical evidence? Well, you know, not at the standard that that we tend to operate when we're talking about medicines and improving medicines, but it's a clinical outcome that I've seen. I've heard discussed, you know, in a repeated way. And I'd love to know if if cannabis use can increase and lower the blood pressure of someone who's running high, I'd sure love to help find out who benefits in that way mm-hmm. and and when. And if there if there are vari- variations in terpene constituents that that play a role in that, that's perfectly conceivable. But even you know there you get into that whole new angle of terpenes and um, all of their mechanisms of function are far from clear in the, in the most part <laughs> that's judiciously said <laughs> yeah yeah it is. These things are are effective at exquisitely low concentrations a lot of times and you know people say things like oh mercine helps thc cross the blood brain barrier but this is speculation there's not good data to show those things so, so, so far today, we've talked about um, using cannabis in a lot of different ways to help your human body in a bunch of different ways. Uh, similarly, cannabis can be uh, ingested by different methods, right? There's, there's, there's combustion smoking or a vape pen or my favorite tincture. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, the best mode to ingest cannabinoids uh, based on the, the different goals we've been talking about today? Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is always going to be that it depends on the person and, and how things respond and work well for them. But if you are, if you're wanting a, a rapid mode of action, you know, that maybe it's, Certainly, if you're talking about breakthrough symptom control, you know, when we're talking about medicine, but today we're trying to talk about performance. And again, you know, back to our earlier talk, you know, if you want to sort of find a place that you become familiar with that's a good zone for your fitness, um, then a fast onset like a, a vape 
um, vaping oil, vaping flour, taking a hit, um, that may be what is most effective for you. And and if you're not scared of cannabis, it may be the kind of thing to suggest first because you can get a better sense of, yeah, this is how quickly this works. But tinctures and, and sublingual application can certainly come on pretty fast too. And I'm a big fan, like you said, of, of tinctures and sublingual oils. I mean, in a, in both for even even I mean I'm a I'm a growing fan of of um you know the decarboxylated I mean the the, the raw acids yeah, um I think they're highly underestimated and and that people could be popping those in tinctures to great health benefit um whether it would improve performance I'm not sure but it is a quick mode of action and then again, and then when you've got again thinking back about performance and mobility back to my story of a buddy who long ago told me that, you know, they would eat edibles and go on a run. Uh, people who have the kind of, um, uh, sport that involves endurance, some sort of edible product might be what they find works to help prolong their zone, their, you know, flow state. If they get there, Block and maybe through the mechanism I, I mentioned earlier, maybe there's a, a way to help prevent muscle fatigue or promote muscle function. Uh, so, you know, it, it does come down to what people empirically find works for them, and and at this point anyway. And I'd love to, I'd love to see a day where we've got some stronger repeatability, and then I can give more recommendations to the naive user, but. Right now, I would be cautious about it. Right on. You know, <clears throat> we talk a lot about um, individualized medicine on this show. And I would say that that this feels a lot like the same way. It's like, okay, for me, I may like to use a one-to-one a -one THC and CBD tincture for overall endocannabinoid health and after workout healing um, from, from, you know, running into the wall of the racquetball court and all. Um, but when I'm going to go lift and I really want to be in the moment, well, then I'm going to, you know, take a small hit off my one hitter, you know, of a little bubble hash yeah. or something. And, yeah. um, and, and I guess that really is it. I, I guess, I guess the, the point here is for, to encourage folks to not assume that all of these solutions are going to be inhaled based and make sure that you consider the, the, the range of modalities that we've got now, which is the mo most anybody's ever had in human history. Yeah. And so yeah. Uh, don't, don't feel like it has to be smoking. Just like when you explain to patients that they don't have to smoke only kind right. of blows their mind a little bit for the first time. Right. I mean, we haven't even talked about topicals in this performance piece because that is, I do tend to think more in terms of very local inflammation, but um, there are different, all kinds of different modes. I mean, when we're talking about sublingual oils, I mean, some dissolvable strip might be very effective as well. But, you know, it's, I'm not going to go out proselytizing to people about it, that bringing cannabis in life, into their life is going to make everything or make, make it all better. But a lot of people are using and enjoy and feel like cannabis increases their quality of life. And if you want to bring that into supporting a physical fitness routine, yeah, do that because it might help. And it's so safe to experiment with. Think about, don't think that you're just limited to taking a, a hit off a joint before you do it, but try a tincture 15 minutes before you start working out and see it, you may 
don't don't gauge whether it's working by whether you feel high. Gauge whether it's working with whether it you're you worked out well and feel good about it. And yeah, absolutely. It doesn't take anything away from us to put value on the medicine, you know, by saying, oh, the medicine helped me. It doesn't take anything. You helped yourself by using a plant product that you that that works with how you evolved. You know, again, the story that we tell each other ourselves matters. Yeah, I uh, uh, there's a video that I recently put on the the the, sh- the Shaping Fire YouTube channel. Uh, there's a I'm running a series there right now. Uh, the the second Shaping Fire sessions I did was with uh, Ethan Russo. The first one was was with yes. Kevin Jodry, and and you know Ethan is very adamant that there is um, a great deal of cannabis efficacy below the intoxication mark. And so many people think that you need to get high to get the benefits, but, you know, anti-inflammatory is a great example. You know, serious anti-inflammatory patients will take 2.5 milligrams every three to four hours throughout the day and be at work. And they've got active cannabinoids, including THC in their bloodstream all day long. And yet they don't feel anything. Yeah, absolutely. It's right on. And I've learned a lot from Ethan in that regard. And I parrot him quite a lot in here in Florida, where we've got, you know, medical cannabis landscape. And let me tell you, it's hard to go to a, a dispensary as they exist in Florida and find those low dose. I mean, to, to be able to take something really easy at a 2.5 milligram level repeatedly the companies that play in Florida are more interested in higher dose products. And, you know, I'm not dismissing high dose and that that's valuable medicine. It's for got the its kinds place too. Exactly. Diseases that we, yeah. But, but no, exactly. You don't have to titrate to feeling high, but to improvement, whether you're talking about symptom management or in this case, we're taking it to a different level uh, of wellness performance, you know, improving you know functionality and mobility and and helping us live our our best selves you know i what do you what do you think about these cbd isolate vape pens that we're starting to see you know you know sports people you know hitting on during press conferences and stuff you know i mean i know i know that generally you're a whole plant guy like i am right that we that you know we want to use the whole plant but they're so in vogue and i know that there are people who are listening to the show because they're like oh cannabis and exercise and then their sports heroes are are like pushing or being coming attached to these cbd isolate pens but for me like i i think that isolate you know, unless unless you're getting your whole plant somewhere else and you're just spiking your your regular daily use with some extra CBD isolate, using CBD isolate on its own doesn't sound like a great idea to me. But what are your thoughts? I, you know, I'm not interested. It, I, I'm just not. It's see, there's I don't want to disparage any athlete stepping out supporting CBD in any way and. And I, I, I've really enjoyed meeting some great athletes in the cannabis space, and I, I praise them for coming out and helping normalize it because nobody helps to normalize the conversation better than these athletes that we really, as a society, tend to worship, you know. Yeah. And, and it's great. And CBD is a great compound, you know. I, I it's. It's amazing how things have shifted, uh, but to, for us to be dismissing CBD in any way, right? Because CBD is great. It's part of the medicine. But yeah, the isolate, eh, that, 
that's not what I want to be involved in developing. It's not ever going to be my first choice uh, as a product. And it's got to be cut with other agents because CBD, and by that I mean diluted, there's something else in a vape pen than CBD because CBD doesn't stay in solution very well. Yeah. You know, you talk to people in the business and they might they might say something like it sugars out or it crystals up or what. They're meaning it comes out of solution. And um, and that, that CBD does that very well. And so it, there will be something else added to help it dissolve. And that's something you're breathing in. And I'm cautious about that stuff. I, again, I'm, I'm not trying to dismiss any athletes, but I also know that CB, the CBD market is booming because there's it's it's cheap. It's there's huge interest going into the production, and you know some a subset of athletes. I mean, companies seek them out to give them these endorsement opportunities, and um, you know. Again, that sounds like I'm speaking negatively about them. I am not, but I think it's more CBD a, I think it's more pen a, as a product, not interested. Right on. I hear that. And that makes sense. And I think that the only reason that CBD isolate, it got so hot in the first place is because it's an artificial market, right? We've got, we still yeah. have got federal prohibition of whole plant. And, and for the moment, uh, you know, CBD isolate is only being selectively enforced by the federal government based on the claims that you're making from it, right? So even right. though it's schedule right. one, they're not actually going around the country and busting people. What they're busting people is for saying, you cannot say that CBD will solve your whatever your issue is. So they're like, you can't say right. that, but right. they're not busting people for having it. If if we had federal whole plant legal everywhere, CBD isolate would just disappear because whole plant was so much more effective, but there's artificial prohibitions on it and therefore thus CBD isolate world, you know? Right, right. Yeah. I think so. And there's so much cannabis, uh, you know, so call them type three cannabis varieties, hemp varieties, whatever that are CBD producers. As you know very well, there's so much growing now in North America, and and part of the boom in that CBD isolate is because it's been imported in mass, in huge volumes, not as hemp flower, but as you know this first extract sludge that comes in <laughs> from so many different places and gets then you know refined and distilled down into CBD. And um, there's a for all these market reasons, it exists. And now we're living in a space where, you know, grocery stores and health food stores are talking about selling CBD products. It's in CVS. I think Urban Outfitters is the last one I read today is going to start carrying CBD oils. And I hope that they are oils. I hope, I hope there's so much growing now and a market to support farmers that are you know, growing and, and having a good farming life that um, that that whole spectrum are fuller, less less processed oils that don't isn't taken down to the powder and sold around as a molecular uh, commodity. Let's keep, you know, um, let's keep cannabis flower and cannabis um, extract oils as the health and wellness and supplement. Uh, commodity and not just boiling it down to molecules. And I and think I'm, you know I'm as classically trained molecular pharmacology guy as you get, and but that's where I stand with it. Yeah, I I totally agree with you, and I think that this is another great place for us to plug home growing, right? Like you know find find a chemovar that you like, grow it in your backyard over the summer, make your own uh, tincture, and or smoke it yourself, and know exactly what you have. 
I'm never going to speak against HomeGrow. <laughs> <You know>, sometimes <laughs> I've been paid by entrance, by entities that, you know, want to have more of a market control. But um, whether it's a medicine or, you know, I just I think we have the human right to access this plant, and nothing makes it more accessible than having a plant that you tend and learning from it. Um, so, yeah. I, I'm I'm not against that. <laughs> right on. Well, Greg, thank you so much for sharing your vast experience with us. It was really great because, you know, you've got this unique combination where, you know, all these years teaching anatomy and physiology, but then also your, you know, endocannabinoid research, you provided a great entree to this this nexus is a, a nexus of ideas. So thank you so much for taking your time and, and, and joining us and being on the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks for putting me on. Fantastic, brother. So if you want to connect with Greg Gerdeman, or, or actually just to follow along with, uh, with what he's up to, uh, the best way to do that is to go to his Instagram, and that's Ganjanesh. So that's uh, at G-A-N-J-A-N-E. S-H. And also, while you're at it, if you want to hear more interesting insights from Greg, go ahead and go back to uh, Shaping Fire episode 14, uh, all about synthetic cannabinoids. And, and Greg breaks down what the heck these things are and why they are not naturally occurring cannabinoids and why they are so much more dangerous for uh, the human body uh, compared to naturally occurring cannabinoids, which are not dangerous at all. You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it too. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news and product reviews. On the Shaping Fire website, you will also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. For information on me and where I will be speaking, you can check out shangolos.com. Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Lose.